My name is Kent. I'm one of the pastors at the church here. And my hope when we gather together here is that um, by the dwelling in God's Word together, it shapes us and forms us and prepares us to go out into our week so that this is something that is an equipping time so that you and I can live as disciples Monday through Saturday. And uh, we're in the book of Acts, which is all about the Spirit's leading. And we've been following through the story, and we've gotten up to Acts chapter 16. So I'd like to invite you to take your Bible out or your phone or grab a Bible out of the chair and read along with me from Acts chapter 16. The New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, the 16th chapter. As we spend time dwelling in the Word, I like to know that I'm prayed for, and I like to pray for you, so I'll offer this prayer. The Lord be with you. I'm going to start reading with verse 6, Acts 16, verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the Word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to go. So they passed to Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight to the, to, for Samothrace, and the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of the district of Macedonia, and we stayed there for several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down, and we began to speak to the women who had gathered there, and one of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. And she kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and he said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and they dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were 
praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundation of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came off. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself, we're all here! The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then he immediately, all of his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. This is God's word, and it's true, and we can rely on it. This morning, I am a little curious of what you think about when you come upon a detour. Do you have a first thought? Oh, no. (laughs) We took a little survey. We sent a question out on our app, and we asked people what they normally react to. 17% of you claim to be excited when you see a detour. I don't know which ones of you that are, but... (laughs) 35% of you claim to be annoyed, and 48, about half of you, don't care. So if you have to do a plan B or take a detour, it doesn't seem to matter to you. I found that kind of interesting. We're going to talk about taking detours today, plan Bs. Now, our city has just celebrated a little milestone. Did any of you notice what milestone that was? the 10th anniversary of the flood of 2008. Yeah, it's kind of a a nice milestone, and they celebrate all the progress that has been made since then. The other thing that I've been paying attention to is the talk about disaster plans. Like, do they have a contingency plan for when this kind of thing happens again? And I'm happy to note that they do, and we actually got to practice that a couple falls ago when we had the other little mini flood that we were threatened with. And I'm happy to see that they have a little more detailed plan than Dilbert's. I came across Dilbert's disaster relief plan here this week. Yeah, sometimes we need a disaster plan that has a little more contingencies than that, maybe plan B, C, D, whatever, to help us get through trouble. Even though we don't like plan Bs, it's kind of good to have them, isn't it? When our plan As go off the chart. I was reading a book this week, actually, and the title of the book is Plan B, and it's written by Pete Wilson. And this is how the book starts. Maybe you can relate to this. I could. He said this, Do you remember the day you discovered your life wasn't going to turn out quite the way you thought? It happens to everyone sooner or later. All of us have had dreams, wishes, goals, and expectations that for a variety of reasons have not come to fruition. Plans fizzle, expectations come to nothing, trusted people let us down or we let ourselves down, dreams shatter and slip away. Has this ever happened to you? Plan A comes to an abrupt stop and you are not sure if there even is a plan B. I know my life has had situations that plan A went off the rails and I didn't know what plan B was. 
And he asks a really good question when that happens. This is the question he asks. What do you do when God doesn't show up for you in the way you thought God was going to show up? I think we who follow Christ expect God to show up. We think that God is active in our lives. He's there. And because he's there, we have an idea, usually, don't we, how God should act when trouble comes. When our plan A gets derailed, we think we know how God should act. What do we do when God doesn't act that way? I know this is a tough question, and I suspect that there may be some people in this very room right now who are dealing with a plan B that is troublesome. So I want to take this question seriously, and I want to admit right up front, I don't know why plan A's go off the rails sometimes. Oftentimes, I don't know why we're faced with plan B. But I want to explore the question, what do we do when this happens? Because it seems to me it is a common experience. And I want to do that today by looking at Acts chapter 16. Because as I was spending time this week dwelling in Acts 16, it seemed to me that Acts 16 is all about a plan B. Acts 16, the the chapter starts with a detour. Paul and Silas are planning one thing and the Spirit stops them. The Spirit keeps them from going in the direction that they want to go. And the language in this passage is very strong. It's like the Spirit forced them to go a different way. See, they were going back to visit the churches that we looked at last week in Paul's first missionary journey. Their mission was to go encourage them and strengthen them and help them to develop. And they thought that they were going to continue kind of just to keep going north up into Galatia. That was their plan. They were sure that this is what God wanted to them. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit stopped them. They weren't allowed to go. So they were confronted with plan B. The rest of the chapter, Acts 16, is about what happens with that plan B. None of this is something that they had planned to do. Okay? So here's the detour. First of all, uh, it's detour season, right? Uh, How many of you normally travel through the intersection of Wiley and Johnson Avenue? Yeah, I'll bet I go through that on a normal situation. I go through that intersection uh, at least a half a dozen times a week, maybe more, and I don't even think about it. I just orchard drive down to Wiley and Wiley out to wherever I'm going. It took me almost a week of pulling up to the sign and realizing, oh my gosh, I can't go this way anymore. It's a detour. This is the annoyance that comes with Plan B. We get in our mind an idea about what we want to do, and then all of a sudden, something stops us from doing that, and that becomes quite annoying. So we want to look at how this uh, detour impacted Paul and Silas, and one of the words that popped out at me in this passage was the word annoyance. Look at this again if you want to jump back down in Acts chapter 16, verse 16. Once they get detoured to Philippi, they decide that their routine is going to be to go have prayer. And there was a place down by the river, so they were going to go down there and they were going to pray. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God! They're telling you how to be saved! And she kept this up day after day after day. Finally, Paul became so annoyed 
that he turned around and he said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus, I command you, come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm dwelling in these passages, certain things strike me as kind of funny, odd funny. Like, this girl is clearly possessed by some demon, some evil force. Why doesn't he take care of it right away? This persists for many days, and finally, I am picturing Paul, maybe it's not completely accurate, but I'm picturing Paul a little bit annoyed because he's taking this detour anyway. And he's in Philippi where he wasn't really planning to go, but the Spirit has led him to go there. And so now he's into this new routine. He's maybe looking for just a little peace and quiet. I'm going to go down by the river. I'm going to get away and connect with God. I'm going to listen for God's plans. I'm going to spend some time in prayer. And this, <coughs> excuse me, this girl keeps following him and keeps yelling at them day after day after day. Why did he take care of this right away? That's one of the things I'm very curious about in this passage. Instead, he waits until he gets to a certain level of annoyance, and finally he can't take it anymore, so he turns to him and prays, in the name of Jesus, I cast you out. And the demon leaves, and it's fixed. You know the feeling of annoyance? Ever had that? Anyone? There's lots of different levels of this. I think there's annoyance that comes from, like, our loved ones, like the people we live with, spouses, children, maybe co-workers, like day by day we kind of figure out each other's buttons and we've got routines and habits that sometimes become annoying to each other. There's that kind of annoyance. There's the annoyance that comes from circumstances, things that don't go right, you know. The, the computer crashes or the, the, I lose my cell phone call drops or I got a detour on the road or, uh, you know, that kind of annoyance. We've all had those. Apparently, some of you aren't annoyed by the detour. I'm still getting my mind around that. <laughs> and then there's the being annoyed by random people that come into your immediate proximity and do dumb things. Thinking of the guy who drives too slow in front of you. I'm thinking about the people who block my way at the grocery store. This is one of mine. I don't know if anyone else has that one. I'm thinking about slave girls who yell at you day after day. Now, I've never had that one personally, but I can imagine that that would be a very big annoyance, wouldn't it? Someone's following you around yelling at you, even though she's yelling the truth, but it's still an annoyance. Paul and Silas just want to connect with God. They just want to go pray with God's people, and this girl keeps interrupting. So the phrase in the verse is actually very much annoyed. And so what Paul does is he prays in the middle of this detour and in the name of Jesus turns around and casts out the demon. I don't know what you would do in these cases. Would you turn around and just yell at her to be quiet? Someone was annoying you like that? Tell her to go away? Threaten harm on her if she keeps it up? Maybe go find her owners and tell the owners to get control of her? Go to the authorities and complain about her disturbing the peace? Just grit your teeth and bear it? I would probably do all of these, but I wouldn't do the thing Paul did, I don't think. He stops and prays, and in the name of Jesus, casts out the demon, and the demon leaves. When Paul is deeply disturbed and annoyed on this detour, he prays. That's interesting, isn't it? Have you ever come up to a detour in the road, a literal detour, and prayed? Which way should I go now? What should I do now? 
Paul's been praying a lot. He's been praying about discerning where to go. He's been praying about listening to the Spirit. What does the Spirit tell me to do? I imagine that even this vision he had at the beginning of the man from Macedonia, I imagine that that was maybe in a season of prayer, that he's trying to go, okay, if we're not going to go north into Galatia, where are we going to go? And then God sends this vision of this man from Macedonia. Hey, come here. Come talk to me. This is what God wants him to do. And so Paul prays. Interestingly enough, though, this passage is not finished with people being annoyed. It continues, which I I think is comforting for me because when I have detours, they annoy me, and I think this is part of life. There's a lot of annoyance going on in this. Because the girl was kind of a cash cow for the owners, I mean, she made them lots of money telling fortunes, they were annoyed once the demon was cast out of her because now they've lost their income. And so because they're annoyed, they go to the magistrates in town and they complain. They, their, their complaint, at least, is, look, the whole city is annoyed by these guys. That they're causing this disturbance, this ruckus. I imagine that even the magistrates now become annoyed because they would rather not have to deal with this. But they do. They send the guy, to the Paul and Silas, to prison. They tell the jailer, this guy has been very annoying. He's very troublesome. Watch him very carefully. I imagine that even the jailer is now annoyed because he's got extra work to do. So he takes him down to the inner cell of the prison and he puts their feet in the stocks, a very uncomfortable way to be jailed, and he leaves him there. By the time night falls, Paul and Silas are in jail. They're singing, which is a curious reaction, and there's an earthquake so that the whole prison shakes. I imagine even God is annoyed by all of this. What have you done to my servants who are there? It looks like plan B is not going great. If you just look at the annoyance level, right? Plan B is causing lots of... It's annoying the heck out of everyone. Paul's annoyed that his work got interrupted. The slave girl's owners are annoyed. They lost their income. The town is annoyed by all this uproar. The magistrates are annoyed by having to deal with this. The jailer's annoyed by the extra work. God's annoyed, so he shakes the whole thing up. Plan B. The really fascinating thing to me, though, is the results that come from this detour. The results of plan B. First, Paul and Silas go to an entirely new community and preach the gospel. Second, the slave girl who has been enslaved and trapped by this evil spirit is set free. Third, Paul and Silas get the chance to stand up in public before a large crowd of people, and they get to preach the gospel again to a large crowd. And then all the prisoners are set free and released, and then the jailer and his entire household come to faith and are baptized. Who saw that coming? Plan B. So plan B has some detours. Plan B has a lot of annoyances, but plan B brings fruit. And one of the most interesting fruits to me in this whole passage is the fruit of rejoicing and joy. I see that in the singing. They're locked up in the inner cell in stocks. They're immobile, and yet... And they've been beaten severely, don't forget that. And they're singing, celebrating, rejoicing, praising God. This is their reaction to all of this. Plan B, rejoicing. And then, this is what happens. The jailer comes in there and he's frantic because the rule was if your prisoners escape, 
then we're going to kill you. So the jailer, the cost of losing his privileges would have been his life. So he comes in there, he's getting ready to kill himself. Paul says, no, wait, we're all here. So the jailer calls for the lights. He rushes in and he falls trembling before Paul and Silas and he brings them out. And the first thing he says to them is, sirs, what can I do to be saved? What a great question. And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds and immediately he and all his household were baptized. And the jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them and he was filled with great joy. The amazing thing to me in this entire detour, all the annoyances, the fruit of it is rejoicing, joy. Plan B results in joy and rejoicing. And I don't know if this is enough always to justify our plan B suffering. I don't know. But it seems like for Paul, he maintains joy even in the detours, in all the annoyances, and the pain, the suffering, the beating, the jails. And I'm curious, how can he keep that perspective? How does that develop and how do you maintain that? He, first of all, recognizes that in the middle of the detour, the ministry continues, the gospel continues to go forward, he continues to preach, he continues to see fruit, he continues to see impact. Joy is possible in the middle of the messiness because he's seeing that it's making a difference. God is still at work. The Spirit is still powerful and active. So I was curious if there was any glimpses we could catch of how Paul developed this particular perspective. And I think there's lots of places we can turn. I thought for the uh, sake of continuity, we should just look at the book of Philippians. So later, Paul leaves Philippi and then he writes them a letter later and encourages them and kind of challenges them. I thought this would give us a window into Paul's perspective. He actually writes this letter later when he's in jail again for different reasons. This is the kind of thing that he says to them. He says, I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion. This is how Paul takes his detour. He knows that God has started a good work and one day, no matter where this path takes you, no matter how many detours or annoyances you face, one day God will complete his good work. Would that help you on your detours, to know that? A little bit later in the book of Philippians, he says this, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Whether in jail or free, whether on a ship or shipwrecked, whatever, whether healthy or beaten, he's content. That's an amazing perspective that must inform all of his detours and all of his annoyances. And I'm a little curious about how he got there. Another little verse helps me with that. Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In prayer and thanksgiving, finding peace beyond understanding, no matter what plan you're on, plan A, B, C, D, E, F, whatever plan you're on, that's encouraging. One of my favorite verses from the entire book of Philippians 4.4. 4. 
Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Plan B detours and plan B annoyances result in plan B rejoicing. That's inspiring to me. How can I continue to rejoice when I face those detours and challenges in life? I'm going to try to invite you all into something that might help us develop this kind of perspective. And it's um, immersing yourselves into this book of Philippians. Um, Actually, over the next month, we're going to take a brief detour out of the book of Acts to look at what Paul had to say to the church of Philippi. And we're going to start doing these readings also. So the back of your insert that you have in your bulletin, there's a little readings from the book of Philippians. We broke it down into kind of paragraph or two paragraph sized chunks. Over the next two weeks, you're going to go through the whole book. It's just a little book, four chapters. And as you do that, we want you to take a little time with each of these paragraphs every day and try to reflect on how does this perspective help me? How does it help me find joy and rejoicing? It's one of the most joyful books in the entire Bible. And I think Paul in this little letter explains how he got there and can help us get there too. So I'd like to invite you, if you haven't done these regular readings, maybe now would be a great time for you to start with your family, your small group, or just on your own, reading these little paragraphs from the book of Philippians. Follow this guidance over the next couple weeks. I'd like to invite you to do that. And then um, maybe take a little different perspective when you run into your actual physical detours this coming week. I know it's detour season, so if you drive around anywhere, you're bound to hit one. Uh, Maybe this is an opportunity to practice. God, which direction do you want me to go? Where do you want me to go? There's one group in our church that I think is going to face a number of detours this week. We've got some people who volunteered to work with Matthew 25 this week. They have what they're called Transform Week. So they're going into, I think, 17 or 18 homes on the west side of Cedar Rapids to do work. And many of these homes are like 100-year-old homes. You get in there to do the work, they said you're guaranteed to hit some detours, some roadblocks. So we're going to practice that. I just want to acknowledge those who are here who are planning to go out on the Transform Week this week. If you've signed up or are planning to go out and do that, just let us acknowledge you right now, the Transform Week volunteers. Yeah, stand up so they can see who you are. Transform Week volunteers. Okay. I think we've got a 25 or 30 total who are going to go out sometime this week. So we're going to pray for you all, especially in the detours that you hit this week, that you'll trust God to lead you through those detours. And then the last thing I want to suggest is that perhaps uh, Dilbert's advice is not that far off from what we should do when we hit a detour, is it? That we should cry out for help. We've already, in a couple of our songs we sang this morning, we sang about this. Cry out to the Holy Spirit to say, God, help me with this. I had a little conversation with Keith and Sue this week. And they got handed a huge detour. And as I chatted with them, I was amazed, actually, at Keith's response. Keith's response was, I'm okay. He went just like this. I'm okay. Because it's in God's hands. That's how we respond to Blan B. Detours and plan B, annoyances, and in the end, I think it offers us the hope that there's plan B, rejoicing. Lord God, we come before you today and we give you thanks because we know that you are a good God. And we thank you for your son, Jesus, who came so that we might be saved. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit who is at work in us right now 
to take these truths and apply them to our lives. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.